Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Today, I have back on One Broken Mom, Michelle Piper again. Michelle is a marriage and family therapist based out of the San Diego area, and her professional and personal interest is working with adult children of narcissistic mothers and has a website out there called NarcissisticMother.com where you can get tons of valuable information and resources for surviving narcissistic abuse, um, as well as signing up for her blog and then also reaching her directly to to uh, secure her for her coaching and therapy services that she has. So I love talking with Michelle. I'm so stoked. For everybody out there, she and I are sitting here on a Saturday morning ready to do um, this next amazing episode. So welcome back, Michelle. Thank you. We've got people out there that are worried about the holidays. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And so, so you and I've already done like a handful of these episodes um, about growing up with a narcissistic parent and the types of traumas that these inflict on people and, and then as kids and which, and then in turn for any of the adults that are out there listening, you know, some of this trauma ends up being the root causes of our mental duress that we're, we're trying to film uh, or deal with. I'm sorry. So as we're recording this episode, it's actually early October and the holidays, as you said, are right around the corner. And if you've grown up in a narcissistic family or, or, you know, just as bad married into one, getting together with the families for the holidays is always like super, super stressful. And so you and I here are to do this special episode, Narcissistic Mothers, the Holiday Edition, <laughs> um, <laughs> and to give some people some survival tips and skills on how to get through like these next couple of months with minimal bloodshed and possibly our sanity intact. Is that right? Yep. That's the way to do it. Yeah. And so we've talked about, you know, this narcissistic dynamic and a lot of different angles because it's just, it's huge. Um, and so we've been kind of nibbling off sections of it as we've done all of these other episodes together. And, and again, sometimes people are landing in on one broken mom and this might be the first episode that they're listening to or the word narcissism and narcissistic, you know, kind of keyed them into us here today in this conversation we're having. I know that it's a general thing to do, but if you were attempt to generalize the main impacts uh, a narcissistic mother has on her kids and what adults of narcissistic parents struggle with, could you do like a, a summary of all of that? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that narcissistic um, survivors of narcissistic abuse have is a difficulty with boundaries, um, especially, unfortunately, with people that are on the narcissistic spectrum, because they were groomed and trained 
on how to get the least reaction, least negative reaction out of the narcissist as they grew up. So that is sad because one, you had to go through it initially, but two, often in your adult life, then you're putting up with people more than the average person would when it comes to narcissism, because it's a little bit harder to sense how much you're being controlled by another when your control panel as a kid was open to that narcissistic family system. And one of the things that uh, you can see in a narcissistic family system is how rigid it is. And that's where the intersection today, you know, as we talk about holidays, we'll start to see the rigidity and the repetitiveness of these non-negotiable self-serving plans that always end up on the um, somehow either emotionally or physically on the narcissistic mother's territory. (laughs) But (laughs) when you go back and you wonder, you know, was I affected by this abuse? You, you know, you want to see who have you dealt with in your life and how has that gone for you? Do you tend to always be around healthy people? Do you have a great instinct for avoiding those who are, more self-absorbed or boundaryless than they should be because, you know, we can also say self-absorbed or narcissistic, but really where the pain comes um, are two major areas. One is the lack of feeling truly loved by that person as we grew up, but the other is the boundary violations of constantly the message being sent to you that you shouldn't have your messy emotions. You should only have emotions that serve me and you shouldn't have your messy life. You should only have a life that serves me. (laughs) And so that message is very powerful for our sense of self-worth and all the things that we carry into adulthood. Yeah. And, you know, I think too, um, there are people though that, uh, and this is such a, a, such a, I want to say a weird topic, but it is, it's a strange dynamic because, you know, I've always considered myself as being a very confident person. And so to be kind of told that, well, you kind of lack some confidence and boundary setting, it's such a strange place to be emotionally to say, I'm really good at setting boundaries with everything else around me, but then there are these people that I'm just like jelly and have nothing in there. And so that's where you're keying in on. Yeah. It's because that person has that similar pattern or behavior that you were groomed into that role. And it happens just like unconsciously, which is just like, um, it's amazing. The brain will do that to you. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's what I mean by the control panel. It's like that control panel is left open um, in, in you for other narcissists unless you become conscious of it. You know, everybody who wants to manipulate you, you can go to that very same back door and get in. And then if you're not conscious of it, you it's crazy making because you're just, like you said, I set boundaries well here. I'm confident in 90% of my life, but I get around this type of person and there's trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you, um, you know, if you describe a relationship, I've heard the term codependent, you know, does codependent describe accurately the type of relationship you kind of get yourself into if you're, um, if you have been around a narcissistic person and you kind of keep, you know, attracting yourself into those relationships, whether those are business or, or personal relationships? Yeah, it's a very, um, inefficient term for the fact that we are easily manipulated by people that are familiar to us from childhood. You know, 
that's one place where codependency tends to come up. But, you know, the word codependency is often hard for people to accept because it infers like I'm joining in this on purpose, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, like co-working space. That means I <laughs> came and <laughs> wanted to work next to this other person. And right. so... Um, that, that is a very charged word, but it's also really handy because it's an old term, you know, in, in the vernacular of pop psychology, you know, since the 1970s, it's, you know, been discussed. And so it is something that people can relate to. I also highly recommend, um, the 12 step group CODA, um, Codependence Anonymous, because that's where boundaries get discussed. So, um, I almost like to think of it as when you think of codependency, just think of it as my place that I need to work on my boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a hard term for somebody to accept, I think it's better to just go, okay, this is my, my basket of where I have boundary failures or where I'm likely to allow people to take too much or give too little. Yeah. Yeah. And you hit on something that I I have heard from other people that have been in narcissistic relationships, mostly from the romantic side of it, because that's the that's the deepest, most personal, you know, thing that gets right at your heart. Mm-hmm. And and the the sentiment commonly is is I didn't choose this. Like you just said, like you know, you're telling me I'm complicit to this. Like somehow right. I wanted all of this stuff. And it and it it really is shocking and almost insulting, you know, when yeah. you and insinuate that, hey, there may be something in you that's drawing you in and they're like absolutely not like I don't want any of this stuff you know you hear that often how do you talk your your patients or your you know your clients around that idea that where they're kind of like saying like I didn't ask for this like this isn't my fault right exactly and so what I like to look at there is um, self-blame versus accountability I don't like people to go into a self-blame like this is my fault, but I do like people to look at areas where they could stop participating with that abuse. Mm-hmm. And so once you recognize the abuse, then it is on you to stop participating in it. Um, and when people say, oh, you're being codependent, I, I do feel like some of my clients feel a lot of shame about that. And really that is carried shame from the people who trained you to put up with this stuff in the first place. And that was, you know, somewhere along the line, somebody didn't teach you boundaries to protect yourself from someone like this. And um, when it is intentionally done by the narcissistic parent, they are grooming you to be people that they like to be around, that they find tolerable to be around, that feed their intensity. That grooming then puts you in an emotional posture to be very compatible with somebody that wants to take advantage of you in that way. And so I, you know, that complicit part, I, I have a hard time with myself as a professional. I think really it's more important to look at how can I look at unhooking myself from any place where I have participated in this unknowingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the million dollar question is, can a narcissist ever be cured? No. Is <laughs> my thought. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that um, a narcissist can uh, learn to mimic empathy when they need to, in order to get 
closer to someone. So a true narcissist, I don't think can be cured. Fortunately, a lot of times when we're talking about a narcissistic mother, they are on a continuum and some of them are, you know, they have a label of narcissistic mother, but they're not way over to um, the point of no return. There is some boundary setting that they will respond to. Um, uh, So is it curable? No. Is it like an injury that's always going to show up that you can um, know how to act around. Yes. Yeah. No, that's good. And that's why, I mean, I think today we're here talking about probably the ultimate, you know, kind of boundary, you know, struggle that families and adults and kids and everybody has, which is around the holiday season. And Mm -hmm. so you were saying that, you know, come September, you know, you're starting here, you know, the phone's starting to ring, the emails are starting to come in that people are now starting to struggle with this dynamic. So what are some of the common issues that start to rise up around the holiday season um, between a narcissistic mother and her family? Well, one is the preemptive strike. And that's why I'm getting calls in September. <laughs> is, um, narcissistic mothers and narcissistic family systems tend to have rigid, repetitive, non-negotiable, self-serving um, plans for the holidays that <laughs> They set up so early, you haven't even had a chance to think about what you'd like to do. You know, every year you think, oh, next year, I'm never going through this again. <laughs> then, you know, it's July 4th and somebody's telling you, well, this year we're going to all be on a cruise, a whole family cruise together for two weeks. You know, it's like, uh, I didn't remember being consulted. And so, um, one, it's important to uh, have the, the genetic person or the person from the family of origin of the narcissistic family system do the communicating. It shouldn't be put on the in-law. So it shouldn't be put, if you have a narcissistic mother-in-law, this communication, your spouse should be the heat shield on these things, if possible. Um, And one thing that will happen is the uh, narcissist will say, this isn't really you, this is so-and-so talking. (laughs) So how undermining is that? Okay, right, now right. I, I have spoken for our family. We are not coming, you know, for the um, cruise, but we'd love to see you when you come after, you know, when, when you get home or before, we'll exchange gifts or we'll have dinner. And there's this fit that starts. There's this um, warfare that starts and campaigning that starts with the other family members. Well, we're all going, you know, this is just mom. Why can't you just blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not that bad. That's just who she is, all that stuff. But if it's affecting um, your peace of mind and worse, if it's affecting a relationship that's that's very important to you, like your spouse or your children, it's too expensive emotionally and developmentally for these relationships to sub- subject yourself to those events. If you can avoid it, try to find a way to do it. Come up with a work project that needs to be done. Um, you know, whatever it takes to try to shave back time um, for yourself during those holidays to nurture your own family system. Because when you're around the narcissistic family system, you're in defense mode. It's um, hard to be present to the loved ones that are capable of being present to you when you're busy fighting off boundary violations, you know, day after day. Mm hmm. 
what are some of the best ways that you, you know, when you're talking with your, your, your clients um, and coaching them through this thing that, you know, in terms of establishing those boundaries, because there's, there's really two things. There's one is I do want to go spend time with my family and, but I want to do it in a way that I'm not giving up everything for that to happen. And then there is the, no, we're not doing it your way, every way, you know, every season like this. Um, right. So, so let's just talk about one of those. You, you hit on like the cruise, you know, here's, here's <laughs> what we're doing and you're coming along whether you like it or not. Um, what are some other ways of kind of like maybe, um, you know, getting ahead of that? <laughs> um, and then when yeah. you're in the middle of it, in the middle of the war, how do you kind of get through it? Yeah. So when, you know, a more typical example is when the, it's established that we always do Thanksgivings at um, mom's house, but there's been a new marriage um, and you don't want to always spend Thanksgiving at the narcissistic mom's house. You'd like to trade off with the other family. Mm-hmm. And so that's a common conflict that happens. And in that case, it's so important um, to calm, to try to remain calm because the whole family system protests. It's not just the narcissistic mother, typically. It's dad calling behind channels to say, you know how mom is, you know, this is so important to her. And uh, it's important to say, I really know that the holidays are important to mom and I can promise to be there every other uh, holiday, but I can't do it every holiday. And I'm sorry that is upsetting to you. I still love you. Mm -hmm. I still love you all. And what they, they'll, they'll fuss and fuss, you know, there's the, the, like the chicken that clucks when you take the egg under, you know, from the nest and, they have to settle and you have to sit through just the discomfort of the clucking. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes it's worse. It's there's um, ultimatums, right? Well, if you're not part of our family this year, you don't need to be part of our family this next year. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. That sounds healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. And, and you're talking about too, like, you know, I, you know, the phone call that comes in from dad or your brothers or your sisters or whatever is, um, you know, I, I like how you say that it's about, well, you know how mom is, but really it's about everybody going, we're all being tortured by the fact that you won't go along with this whole yes. thing. And so it's not really about mom. It's about me. Yeah. Stop. She's bugging me. She's making my life a living hell. Can you do this for me? <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, especially the dad, the dad's like, Oh, you know, I have to hear this every day. You know, like a lot of the kids are, you know, more like, Oh, you know, siblings. I, now I'm going to have to be alone with her. Thanks. Or whatever you've abandoned me, you know? Yeah. Uh, So on, on the spouse, if they're, you know, saying, you know, my long suffering life and all I want to do is just see you guys for a peaceful holiday. And this is going to make the whole holiday miserable for me. You know, it's, compassionate to say, I'm very sorry that you have made the choice to be with somebody that acts like this, but it's not my choice. Mm -hmm. And I, I love you and I am happy to call in and see how you're doing that. You know, there's, this is though about your own discomfort. If you call it, it helps a lot. If you call it, well, this is, that sounds like it's your discomfort and I do understand it's uncomfortable. That's why I've chosen not to go. 
Does that, and does you, do you get some long-term benefit out of that? I mean, once you call it out for somebody, um, have you seen with your clients where that kind of starts to shift the tide a little bit? Because we does. talked about awareness. Okay. Yeah, it really does. On the non-narcissistic siblings, you know, it, it, some of them are going to, sometimes are narcissists as well, but the ones that um, have compassion and empathy are, you know, that is kind of like, Oh yeah. Okay. You know, and you can even go further with it. If you have, you know, somebody that's open to conversation, you can say, I, I know that you're choosing to do it. um, And I also respect your choice that you go every year. I would just appreciate it if you could respect that I'm not going to be there every year. Mm-hmm. If you're sitting in the background, though, I mean, I, one of the other challenges that we see is that the narcissistic mom is not your mom. It's your mm-hmm. mother-in-law. Do you have to or end up working with the spouse who yes. is frustrated, <laughs> yeah. right? Who's like, because you said the genetically connected person should take the lead, but what if they're failing? <laughs> you know, how do you get through that? <laughs> right. So a lot of times um, the spouse, the the in-law, so daughter-in-law or son-in-law is uh, so tempted to then step in and be the heat shield for, you know, gosh, it's like my wife or husband goes into a trance-like behavior around um, their mom. You know, we discussed how we're going to handle this. We even talked about it this year, three months ahead of time. Uh, We listened to this podcast and we got all these (laughs) tips and you're not doing any of it, you know. And that is really tough because then it puts the the non- you know, related person in a position of, am I going to just make a stand independently, you know, and that can really, uh, the failure of, of the spouse who doesn't set the boundary with the narcissistic family system can cause a a rift in that relationship that is sometimes irreparable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why often I will get a call from the in-law uh, so the daughter-in-law or son-in-law, and they'll start um, coaching with me. And a lot of these coaching things are only five to 10 sessions because they're just getting the language and starting to learn how to have explicit agreements between them as a couple and how they're also hearing from a professional how important it is to protect that couple. Because 20-plus years of being around um, this professionally, I can look them in the eye and say your marriage is not going to survive you undermining your spouse. And how many times, you know, I get this uh, curious question, you know, marrying into a narcissistic family when you aren't like, that's not something that you're around. That's why I asked the question, can a narcissist be cured? Because I feel like sometimes people will get into this and go, well, I think I can convince her, you know, being narcissistic mom and show her how she's being unreasonable and, you know, and, and you insert yourself. Right. And so, yes. And that, that's probably where the undermining and the rift can totally start to tear it apart. Just not being aware that you can't can't fix it, you know? Right. It's really important to leave it alone. You know, narcissism isn't going to be fixed by one person interacting with an adult narcissist. Mm -hmm. Kids with narcissistic tendencies can be impacted and learn empathy. You know, they're still in a teachable state. The brain is pretty plastic until um, it decreases and starts to be much less malleable 
uh, by 25 as we grow up. But that plasticity is there then. But we're, you know, when you're dealing with an in-law, that's somebody who's, you know, often 50, 60, you know, and above. Yeah, they're rigid. <laughs> yeah, they are. And um, a compassionate person that comes from the outside is like, oh, if she knew how she came off, then maybe blah, blah, blah. And that is a very dangerous thing to do as an in-law because you are not going to be loved <laughs> or attached to as uh, deeply by that um, narcissistic mother as she is to her own children. And you giving her that feedback it identifies you often as the enemy. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that in the last episode, the enemy combatant. When you're when you think that you're trying to reduce that intensity in the dynamic, it's it's having the opposite effect. On yes. The yeah. And that's um, you know uh, that uh, term triangulation, where you're going to be villain, victim, rescuer. You know, you, if you get in that triangle, it's going to move you around. So you come in thinking you're the rescuer, trying to help solve the uh, tension. And then somebody sees you as the villain instead. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you tell the spouse who's uh, narcissistic, you know, mother-in-law or father-in-law is, you know, driving all these decisions and, and their spouse is not setting those boundaries. You know, how do you, how do you help them cope with this? You know, are you, do you coach them to just, kind of how to how to put their head down and just avoid getting, you know, bonked in the head by what's going to happen at Christmas? Or do you coach them to teach their spouse how to do boundary setting? Um, you coach on uh, the boundary setting by example, you know, so uh, yes, they can share the teaching that they're getting. Um, and what I find with people that are trying to help that person who is still not applying um, boundaries towards their narcissistic family system is they can get extremely frustrated. And the important thing for them to do is to tell the spouse very explicitly, this is what I see happen and here's how I see it impact our intimacy. Here's how I see it, you know, get in the way of us being close. Because that's the top priority, you know, for the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that can motivate the person who's having a hard time with their narcissistic parent. Because up to this point, they've been borrowing from the marriage or the couplehood. And, you know, oh, just, you know, this is just my mom. This is just my dad. Please understand it. Oh, it's just for this day. It's just for that day. It's just for this event. And, you know, a normal human being can't keep putting up with serving somebody who has no empathy. It just is uh, too draining. Mm -hmm. So what's a good plan for then somebody, we'll, we'll just talk about the spouse who's going to, you know, you've got Christmas coming around the corner and mom, you know, narcissistic mom is like, well, we always come to my place first thing in the morning and we open up the yeah. presents and that's what we're doing. And you've got kids, you know, I think this is probably where the biggest conflict is, is, you know, two adults kind of without children, you know, there's a lot less leverage, let's just call that in the, in the family. Right. But once the grandkids mm -hmm. are involved in there, that intensity makes it, increases. Oh, totally. 
family yeah. system. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, and I've seen this other places too. You know, we've all seen this where it's like, well, you know, you suddenly have to form your, you know, your whole process around that thing. And your kids are like, I don't want to get up in the early in the morning and be schlepped all over, you know, to three different homes and to do all that stuff. So what are some good workarounds, <laughs> you know, with, yeah. with those pieces there? Because I mean, the, the guilt is just thick, you yeah. know, like yeah. you emotional said, there's ultimatums, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Emotional whack-a-mole. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, how do we, how do we get through that? And Thanksgiving's another one. Anybody's pick your holiday. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's start with Thanksgiving since it's coming first. Uh, you know, first of all, as an in-law, you feel like you're tolerated at best. You're treated like an incubator or an egg or a spoon, a sperm donor for quote unquote sperm donor for her grandchildren. Yeah. You know? And you're like, uh, these are my kids <laughs> and I don't like to have them treated in that way. I don't want them to get imprinted with these behaviors. Uh, the rigidity is something that is very noticeable when you see your children being forced into it, you mm-hmm. know, that's extremely difficult for uh, the parents to watch. And that's a good instinct. Like I don't want my kid forced to do exactly this, this, and this, that's not a normal way to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say you're, you're going this year, you know, for whatever reason you're going to be going and it, it means it's either going to be on her territory or at your place usually. And her territory um, has all kinds of baggage, but if they come and stay at your house, they also treat your house like it's your theirs. Mm-hmm. So there's things where you'll need to talk to your spouse. If, if, so if they're coming to you, talk to your spouse about how do we take breaks? How do we build in hard stops so that, oh, sorry, we have to take so-and-so to soccer practice or you know, whatever it is, it's an interruption. And even if it's, oh, we'll come with you, you know, if you have a smaller car and that's what you're using, stick with it. You, know? <laughs> you, know, you need these um, boundaries and you need the, the air to get into the system. A narcissistic family system is always trying to close all the gaps and stay insular. And we want to try to always give air to that system and break up that insularity. Hmm. And so, um, who regardless of whoever's home you end up at try to build in breaks um even if you have to go to the ladies room or the men's room <laughs> to just get a a sense of okay where am i at ground myself continue to go out there and hold boundaries sometimes it helps to just text a friend that's you know outside of this situation and say here's how i'm feeling and you can have a good friend that you just have where you go witness and you just say, I said this, she totally ignored it. <laughs> and I, and, and now I'm frustrated just to mm-hmm. have a place where you can have that sent out and the other person can just text back witnessed, you know, just mm-hmm. to go, I see you. This is hard. Um, limiting the total time of the visit, even if you get ensnared in having to go, trying to keep it shorter. Um, so that you can get a break. You know, holidays are emotional. They're packed with memories of those that pass that you miss. There's a desire to be with people who feel safe. And, you know, you have a homesickness for a home you've never had if you are actually the son or daughter of a narcissist. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's no safe place. Um, so that checking in with trusted others is helpful. Witnessing is helpful. And then... Um, 
planning something fun or rewarding uh, away from that family system before or after as a way to kind of go, okay, we're, we all are going into this, but first we're going to charge up or, all right, everybody, we're going to this. None of us want to be there. Be polite. Stay in your values so you don't feel guilty later about, you know, snapping or, you know, acting in a way that you wouldn't act to other people. Um, and then afterwards, we're all going here to have our day. Okay. You know, you talked about your um, the siblings, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, is there any success in, like, getting your siblings all on the same page with you? Or, or can that, like, backfire? You know, it's really rare to get the siblings all together. It's worth a try. Um, if you're going to approach siblings, try not to label the narcissist, you know, because <laughs> um, labeling is not very helpful to people that don't understand the behaviors. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very helpful though to identify when mom does X, I am, you know, that it has this impact on me or my family or my relationship. Therefore I'm not going to be participating in X. And I, I want to tell you ahead of time so that you, you know, don't have to feel awkward or that you should convince me to change my mind. You know, this is something that's between me and mom. Um, or me and dad and the siblings sometimes it's going to depend on what role they usually were in the family as they grew up you know discussed hero golden um, lost all these different types of uh, roles that we get into scapegoat and so the hero child is going to try so hard if they have un they haven't done their work you know on understanding that how they've been affected by a narcissistic family system. They're going to try to be the mediator and you can just call it and say, I, I know that you're trying to decrease the, the strain between the two of us and come up with a compromise, but I'd, I would really appreciate it if you stepped out of that role with me. This is a choice that I really need to have respected. Yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking about roles too. It's like who gets impacted more during the holidays and, and, and is there, you know, a distinction between how everybody approaches it? <laughs> yeah, there is. And um everybody's impacted by it, you know, like in a different painful way, you know. So Hero is trying to why can't we just all get together? It's not that big a deal, you know. We don't need to have this drama. You know, she's frail, she's fifty two <laughs> and she's already, you know, near death and we need to, you know there's just so much. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and they they are they are bothered and they're trying and they're like it, if you think of breeds of dogs you know they're like the Saint Bernard and they're trying to rescue everybody and they're going to keep trying and it's important to give your siblings some grace at you know whatever position they're in they have paid the price in their own way you know mm-hmm. and Golden is just like I don't care if you don't come I'd rather just have my mom all to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Or, well, I'll just be there and I'll just be piling on about what a jerk you are for not coming. Right. And you can feel like so undermined. But I think if you can come to a point where you feel compassion and sorrow for that person is so enveloped in that system and, you know, they're never really going to be their their true self. And yeah. That's, and that's a big price to pay. Yeah. So it's kind of still a lonely, like you're still kind of in a lonely place uh, with attacking this. I I don't want to say attacking it, but dealing with it. Yeah. You're cocooned in toxicity and you know, that's a terrible place to be. Yeah. So I, you know, and I sit there and I think like, you know, people that listen here are 
they had parents. You know, we all did. <laughs> um, and, and, and they are, you know, quite possibly, you know, going through this, you know, this balance and this uh, machination of back and forth and negotiating what's going to happen and stuff like that. And then there are some of us that actually also on top of all of this have the kids. And we talked about, you know, schlepping the kids around and stuff like that. You know, understanding trauma and, you know, the, the experience of growing up with the narcissistic parent or the emotionally immature parent you know, was a traumatic experience, you know, from the emotional neglect, the withholding, Absolutely. you know, and all that stuff. How do we go through, you know, this, the, the charge of the holiday season when we have our own children and to use the word imprint, how do we avoid the imprinting um, from ourselves somehow indirectly, you know, translating something to the kids that they're watching us do and also to protect them from this crazy narcissistic you know, toxic dynamic that's going on, you know, around the Christmas tree or at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Yeah. So age appropriately, you know, explain to your kid what's going on without the labels, you know, so you don't tell a four-year-old, you know, grandma's narcissistic and you <laughs> probably don't want to tell an angry 14-year-old either that can just roll that out and, you know, as a yeah. grenade in one of the family dinners. Um, <laughs> but to say, you know, as you leave one of these events, Notice how grandma did X or Y, uh, what would have been a more empathetic way she could have done that, you know, kind of looking at it as teaching moments. Uh, you know, did you guys notice how everything had to be the same as it was last year, exactly in the same order? Like with Christmas, often it's, we have to open one gift at a time and all pay attention to that one person at a time and watch them and rip wrap the gift. And, you know, if people are just giving each other one gift that can maybe work, but there's sometimes where it's three hours long and there's, <laughs> you know, 20 to 30 gifts per person. And so it's, you know, whenever it seems excessive or intense or too precious um, or things have to be just so, so special or they're completely, um, worthless to the narcissist it's so important to point out these um cognitive distortions oh did you see the all or nothing thinking there you know it's sad that she can't be happy if it you know if everything doesn't go exactly in the same order you know just pointing mm -hmm. out the strange rigidity and all these different things so they can become educated about how to identify it in other people and they'll even say when they notice it in you so there's that way we can interrupt on you know that um imprint problem. Mm -hmm. Well, mom, you're actually acting just like grandma, you know, <laughs> and you know, so that can be a fun moment, but it's like, oh, really? Okay. What ways do you see it? You know, get specific. Tell me, you know, what do you see? Mm -hmm. And that's great. I mean, yeah, I talk about, I think empathy training is how you mm -hmm. definitely can uh, cut that generational tie, you know, to that narcissistic toxicity. Um, yeah. And, you know, out. so don't fall into the trap of the, nar of the um, frustrated, you know, diatribe about, oh, there she does that again, blah, blah, blah. You know, we want, we want to train empathy, you know, about that's sad that she chooses to do that. That's alienating. You know, most people don't want to follow, you know, in that kind of rigidity. Can you imagine, you know, with your kids, you can say, how would your friends respond to that? You know? Mm-hmm. So there's a compassionate way of dealing with it, even though on the inside you do want to vent and you can do that hopefully with your partner or a friend, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not in front of everybody. Right. Well, and you know, and I think about, you know, what we're modeling, you know, to kids. And so when you're in these situations, you know, really being careful 
about, you know, to me, and this is just my opinion, so I have you on to talk to you about this and let me know if it's right or not. But to me, it's like if you show how to just go along with everything, then that's not the the underlying model that you're communicating to your kids is how to just let the narcissist control. It's like right. you're not you're not doing your part of establishing and showing him how to set boundaries, how to do it in a healthy, positive way without making it a shouting match you know, in front of them. And so I guess, um, you know, confirm or deny that the, just keeping your mouth shut and letting all of that happen. And just because you find that that's the easiest way to get with, get through it is, is showing your kids probably the, a a poor way of them handling similar situations as they grow up. Right. True. Yeah. And it's so important. Um, if there ever are times where you're complying, um, once you're out of the system, and in a safe place with the kids to talk to them about, you know, this was a time where I actually gave in and I shouldn't have, I should have done X instead. Uh, It's a lifetime habit because I grew up in that system. Or um, if you're the in-law, you know, this was a default that I used to do before I learned better skills, but um, how I want to handle it in the future is this way. You know, one thing too that um, I imagine also comes into play quite a bit is when the kids love their grandparents and you are making some choices, you know, to say, listen, we just can't do this. And how do you explain to a kid in a way that doesn't defile their view of their own grandparents, but protects you in, in asserting the fact that, listen, we're not going there. You know, we're not doing it because sometimes little kids love grandma and grandpa because they spoil them, especially the narcissistic one, right? So how do you have, you know, with a smaller, you know, smaller child or even any child where you, you, it's your self-care to not participate in the drama, but your kids are like, I don't understand why, because they're always so nice to me. You know, grandma's always like so fun and amazing. How do you, how do you navigate that part through the holiday season? I think it's important to talk about how fun and amazing, um, you know, is not necessarily good grandparenting, you know, to say, I do understand that you experience her this way because she does this, this, and this, but actually doing this, this, and this every time you're over isn't good for you. Um, And I've asked her to not treat you in that way all the time. And they know because of your parenting They know the difference between spoiled and not spoiled. And so you can say, you know, you know, when they're doing X or Y, when they're old enough, when they're young and four or five and they just want to go to grandma or grandpa's, it's important to say to them, um, just not today, we'll go later, or we only go this often, you know, whatever boundaries you can set that they can understand that are repetitive. Mm -hmm. But older, use it always as teaching. It's, it's, due to the behaviors, it's due to the boundary failures. It is not a personal thing against the grandparents. I understand that you love them and you, you might even love them too. It's just, I can't as a good parent have you exposed to that continual um, dysfunctional way of behaving. Yeah. And kids adapt well to that. I mean, you're excited. yeah. As yeah. long as you are specific about, you know, this happens to their age-appropriate level of mm-hmm. okay, this behavior happens. It's not good for you. That's why we limit time. I understand you want to see him or her, and we will make that time if the person isn't totally toxic. You know, sometimes people have cut 
their kids off from grandma or grandpa because it's so uh, undermining. Like they've come in and heard the, the grandparent talking to them about what a crappy parent you are. And, you know, that's not going to work. Um, and so in those situations, uh, it's uh, the, the parent explains, we're not around this person because they're extremely hurtful. They have lied about me to you and that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, the narcissist, again, has their bag of marbles and they're trying to play with all the yeah. marbles as much as possible, which include the kids at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so dinner time, um, the probably the big moment, you know, for families like, you know, with Thanksgiving and even other things like, you know, when you're dealing with the toxicity of a narcissistic dynamic, what are some good topics to just completely avoid <laughs> so that you don't end up like lobbing bombs across the table? And how do you sidestep? You know, because yeah. that's where everybody's sitting around looking at each other. Okay. <laughs> so the topics will vary, you know, due to the narcissist, you know, something so benign could end up being such a big deal. But by this time you've learned what they are. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you feel that intensity starting, it's always about intensity. Uh, and you think it could go sideways. That's a time to get up and offer to do the dishes or, um, you know, have so, some family member get something from outside, you know, try to, again, put air in the system, try to slow down what's going on. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's about these days, politics, you know, where somebody, the narcissist is talking about a certain thing that they find acceptable in uh, the behavior of the politician they like, and then somebody else's, you know, gonna wade in against that and it's gonna start trouble mm -hmm. tension or you're seeing everybody's complying and gosh nobody here supports that candidate and except for the parents and everybody else is just sitting there and that's not a genuine moment you know so trying to redirect by uh interruptions um of any sort uh or also, you can try to introduce a new topic. It just depends on how um, how much of a steamroll that person is on about the topic. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes physically just standing up and removing yourself from dinner to go get more salt or, oh, I don't think there's butter, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> or can I take this plate for you? You know, if there's any way to just try to poke a little air in the system, it, you know, usually with uh, a family, there's might be another person who's neutral to healthy mm -hmm. and they'll try to kick it that way too. Yeah. And that like can be direct like an in-law, <laughs> like the person. That yeah. yeah. Married into the family. <laughs> yeah. The other in-laws are all like, here we go. Yeah. Um, the eye lock across the turkey. <laughs> right. Right. So the, uh, you know, the one thing too, that can happen, you know, I think in these situations is somebody getting bullied and picked on. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's you and, you know, what's a, what's a tactful way. I mean, come on, we've all seen the movies where there is that scene and it just turns into a classic blow up because someone, you know, and everybody starts needling at each other and stuff. But how do you, how do you diffuse, um, diffuse bullying or teasing, you know, by anybody? Cause 
it can become like gang warfare, especially depending on the roles that some of the siblings play and stuff like that. And they all think it's funny, but you don't. Right, right. So that's tough, right? Because it's like peer pressure. You're supposed to put up with it like it's just a normal fun game, but Mm -hmm. it's at your expense. And so that's one of those things where you, oh, excuse me, I forgot something in the car, (laughs) you know, and Mm -hmm. you just, you physically distance yourself anytime that bullying behavior happens. There's also times where you can say, you know, if the family could, if the family would be shocked into silence about it, then it's worth doing. If they would just use it as fuel to keep going, then you don't do this one. But you can say, stop, that's something that I find really unpleasant. Let's do a different topic. Yeah, right. And that can go either way, can it? (laughs) You're so sensitive. Yeah. So it depends on your family. You know, if they're going to then see that as like, oh, you know, like the bully in the classroom, here we've got fresh meat then you don't do that. You act like it doesn't bother you or you say, well, that's an interesting opinion. (laughs) You know, that's a really good like deflator when somebody thinks they're really going to get under your skin. Mm -hmm. And then what happens when the, you're the in-law and the bullying is directed at your spouse, you know, and you, you want to do something about that. And I, you know, I, we can all feel those feelings rise up in us where we want to protect this person that we love. You know, what's a good way of handling that if that's what you're kind of in the midst of around the dinner table? Yeah. Um, I think it's important to the first time you, you know, you just observe and try to distract, redirect, or, you know, do these uh, neutralizing things. Um, no direct confrontation, but to talk to your spouse, spouse about it offline when you're not at the event and say that you noticed it, that you were really uncomfortable with that. How did they feel about it? And, um, and then ask to work out a plan for the next time when that happens. That they, that they're bought in on so that they don't feel further humiliated. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cause I can imagine if you've ever been, you know, you're the mascot, you know, or the scapegoat, you know, in yeah. this dynamic and stuff that, you know, you're used to it. You kind of know how to go along with it. Um, but it can be really unsettling for a spouse to see it for the first time or right. you know, want to ever tolerate it and stuff. Yes. And so having that offline discussion with your spouse is good because um, the worst thing you can do is participate in something by falling into a trap he or she already knows um, you don't want to go into. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because a lot of normal defenses are manipulated by a narcissistic family system and then that person's made to look worse. And so sometimes when your spouse is silent, it's because all the logical ways of confronting this situation don't work in this family system. And you guys can talk about a plan for in the future, how to handle it. Yeah. And it's tough to do because especially you can't predict everything. I mean, so you you have said that narcissists are predictable, which is, which is very true. Um, When you're coming into the holidays for the first time though, you don't know where the landmines may be. Um, You know, if you're the outsider coming in, you know. Correct. And so, Uh, you know, a narcissist is predictable with the narcissistic family system within that, like, hey, we're all in this, like, we're all in this pool game, you know. Mm -hmm. And now the balls start hitting off of each other. Things get less predictable, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Okay. So where, uh, what are some other things that you want to be able to kind of get out there on this topic for holidays and, and, and helping people that, um, right now are struggling with, you know, how, you know, this impending, like how to make these choices and decisions and what ultimately is the the best, you know, decision for themselves and their family. So if um, you're already stuck in a plan 
you know, already been manipulated into something, then view this first holiday as uh, you are, uh, you are a data gathering and you're going to come back with, okay, this is what typically happens. All right. For next year, we're going to do this. The data gathering gives you a chance to kind of talk dispassionately with your own, um, spouse and family to say, okay, in the future, how do we want to handle this? And it gives you some detachment while you're in a situation that you're over your head in, or you've been set up to be at a disadvantage already. Um, but let's say you, this is a fresh slate and you can make your own choices. Uh, try to insert breaks within any time that you're around them. Um, sometimes that can be quote unquote business calls um, or it's, Oh, I need to call my relative or, you know, whatever you, you put these um, things intentionally into the actual exposure time so that you can decrease your exposure. Think of it as like Superman being exposed to kryptonite. You guys want to interrupt as much as possible. So within the rigid plan of the holiday, uh, it might be that you, for some reason, are trapped in the dining room for six hours, you know, try to bring a soccer game or something and get out, you know, get out of the house and go to a park and get the kids active. The kids can be used as a great excuse to change these routines um, because you can say, oh, they just need to stretch their legs after something like this or before big dinner, we want to do this or something. But overall, the most important thing is self-care before and after these events so that you have filled your battery ahead of time. And then when you've gone through it, you make up for that depletion. And what are some ways that you can uh, make up for the depletion? Uh, so you can make sure that there's special one-on-one -on -one time with your spouse because you two have gone into something that was really in some ways felt like a waste of your time, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you can set up massages, pedicures, body self-care, yoga, meditation, walking, you know, somewhere that's soothing to you, hiking, all these things that um, you would normally do for yourself that could make you feel rejuvenated. Um, and if you can find something that is with your partner or with your children that does that, that's, you know, handling, that's doing double to triple time, the benefit. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the uh, breathing air into the dynamic. You've said that, you know, several times. And and I, one thing that I, I guess what I'd like to hear, because what came to me having, you know, kind of been around these dynamics, um, I'm sitting here going, okay, I get that. Like I can put these breaks in here, but then I know what's going to happen to me the minute I walk back in the room after I took a phone call during Christmas, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, is uh -huh. the bombardment of that. So, you know, what's a good way of knowing again, that that toxicity is there and every decision you make is going to be questioned and invalidated, or it's going to be a picking point, you know, whatever it is. Um, how do you not lose the benefit of having left the room by then walking back into the, the minefield in front of you? Right. Good point. <laughs> um, so one thing to remind yourself of is I will never be able to do this perfectly. This is a very crazy system. And, you know, giving yourself a break that whatever you do isn't going to be sanctioned by yeah. the narcissistic family system. And so if you come in and then you're, you know, getting extra shrapnel for doing 
whatever working on the holidays or taking that text or you know whatever you whatever you chose right yeah yeah or taking a nap some people (laughs) become narcoleptic around their narcissists (laughs) (laughs) falling asleep everywhere they can Uh Um, you know think well you know they can they can say these things but I still got my time and you know you can act like that makes you chagrined when you know you walk in they're like oh wow that's crazy that you took that call right now but it might be the way that you kept yourself from having a very nasty retort or joining into a bad fight yeah so you just self it's a lot of self-talking right and coaching yourself yeah and you go "Mm, yep so i guess the best way to describe this is when you're dealing with holidays in the narcissistic family system you have to think of everything you do is having a price but you want to pick the prices that are most livable for you yeah. Which is why people just avoid them altogether. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are like, well, we just happen to be in Alaska then. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. And that I, you know, I think is a good thing to do once in a while is just to, you know, have your own core family and go do something you enjoy, you know? So yeah, we have this every other thing, but one out of five of these we're going to miss and we're going to be on our own camping trip or, you know, whatever we decide to do. Yeah. And everybody's just going to have to be okay with it. Yeah. And they won't, you know, but you're going to have to be okay with them not being okay. Right. Right. Sound like there's like two really big key things, which is um, communicating with your spouse and your family so that you guys are all on the same page, you know, on yeah, what so they know why you're doing certain things. Right. You know? Even if you're um, so that's if your narcissistic mother is your mother and then um, what is a good strategy for when the narcissistic mother is your in-law and your, let's say your spouse may not be down the path of being able to extricate himself you know, or herself emotionally from that control? What's a good strategy for in-law to take going into the holidays with her spouse in terms of that communication? So as far as, it, let's say the... Um the actual son or daughter is not going to take on that communication or make those decisions. And then it puts you in the position of doing it. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to usually happen when you have, uh, when you have children, right? Usually just, if it's just you, you're going to just comply for that little bit of time and move on, you know, but when it starts to impact your kids, I think that's when you're most likely to be put in the position where you're going to speak up. And uh, that's appropriate at that time because you're doing it for your kids. And that's your biggest responsibility is to be a good parent. And so, you know, setting the boundaries as you would with anybody that you deal with, and then you deal with the, the blow up. So that chicken clucking that we've talked about before, mm-hmm. where there's going to be a reaction. The thing that's most important is that your spouse understands there is a a reaction and there's a price to pay, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. And that's what you, you just can't afford the spouse undermining you. So I'm going to take on this communication, but the deal is that you don't undermine, you know, and soft pedal and try to massage this behind the scenes like dad does for mom. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. 
Okay, so anybody out there who is feeling the anxiety of the holidays coming up, what's a great way for them to get a hold of you in case they want you to kind of like coax them and coach them through this? You said five to 10 sessions. Are there any other options or opportunities um, for people yeah, to... Yeah, I mean, some people just do uh, a one and done because they just, they're like, <laughs> is this really what's happening and should I do this and what books might be helpful and, you know, for this specific situation. So there's kind of like a grab and go type of thing. And then... Um, and this podcast is one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> grab yeah. and go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, NarcissisticMother.com, you can go through that. And there's also MichellePiper.com where there's an automatic scheduler for uh, an exploratory call where it's a 15 minute free thing where we just um, see if I could be of help or I can answer a question within 15 minutes. I'm happy to do so. Very cool. Very cool. So I just want to double back and make sure that you, you feel like we've gotten through how to get somebody prepared for the holidays. Yeah, I think um, the only thing I'd like to add is that if you're having, if you're hosting a narcissistic family system at your house, I want you to think about your privacy boundaries and that the narcissistic family system often uh, will violate those boundaries. So normal things like you don't open my drawers is not necessarily what a narcissist will comply with. So if there's anything that you don't want seen or financials you don't want gone through, lock them in your trunk or have a friend keep them. I have so many um, people talk to me about, I can't believe it. She had my, you know, my mortgage out and she was looking at it. (laughs) Whatever. Eavesdropping by the door when you're talking. So just be aware that the anxiety of a narcissist pushes them over these normal societal uh, boundaries that you would expect they would do. They just kind of can't resist them. They sit there and lurk around your doorway when you're having a personal phone call or they they feel free to open up your files. And so protect yourself in that way when you're thinking if you're hosting. <laughs> I'm laughing like, oh my gosh, yeah, the narcissist is coming, lock everything down. Isn't it sad, but there's too many times where, you know, there's been questions to the, you know, in-law afterwards about, oh, I see that you're taking this medication, what's that for? It's like, really, how would you see that? It was in my internal master bedroom, (laughs) right, in a bottom drawer. Oh man. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that uh we've we've been able to give some people some really good, you know, uh insights and workarounds and awareness and strategies for being able to get get through the holidays um so that again, you know, maybe the holiday seasons can be restored, you know, in some way or enjoyed in some capacity rather than the big stress ball that they they can be for most people. So um, thank you again for taking this time to be able to to do this and talk about um, narcissistic dynamics and and how to how to get through the holiday season. Um, uh, well, thank you for the questions. They, you know, you drill down to okay, what if I do this and then I get this? <laughs> <laughs> because that is how it goes. You know, it's just you know a lot of times in conversations like this, we're at the surface, the first pass of all these boundary violations. It's like boundary fencing. And so I really appreciate that you dig under and ask, well, what about when that doesn't work? Or what about when that triggers this next thing? (laughs) Um, That comes from experience. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And I think that's where, you know, um, that's, that's where people get the help, right? You know, um, everything on a, on a theoretical basis, you know, is sounds great. great. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Right. But we all know that when we've been through that boot camp before, it's like, no, they know how to tunnel through that. Some of that stuff, you know, <laughs> <laughs> where do we, where do we put those blocks up? So cool. Well, again, it's a Saturday morning. You and I both took some time to do this and I, I'm so glad that you did it with me. Um, and everybody can get a chance to be able to listen to this. And again, I'll have the link to your website in the podcast notes to both narcissisticmother.com and michellepiper.com. And hopefully, hopefully none of you will really need to go through this, but I think that we all know in some ways, um, if you've dealt with narcissism in your family and in your life and in your relationships that, um, the cure is a million years away, but you can navigate yourself through it and get out on the other side just fine. So um, you are just a blessing to this show and uh, to the people that you help, Michelle. And so I'm always so grateful to have you here with me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiricone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kirkoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.